Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We are back again. Tom Block, Keith Jones, welcome to Front Row Knowles. KJ, it's a Super Bowl week. Well, I guess we're past the Super Bowl now, and uh, we'll be our usual mediocre selves as we kick things off. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Was surprised by the game. Was hopeful that the Bucks would win, and obviously delighted that they did. But the defensive performance by Tampa Bay, I don't think – I think folks knew it might happen. I don't think anybody was – anywhere convinced that it it would actually result the way it did i'm going to start with a depressing statistic keith but we'll we'll improve it from there usually the super bowl means the end of football as we know it and we get to the long dark doldrums of waiting for the season to start and as i just used the google machine i did not compute this myself we are 207 days away from FSU's opening game against Notre Dame on September 5th. Uh, we need to put a little countdown on our computers like they do for uh, whatever, whatever, uh, so that we can constantly be reminded of that. So on the one hand, that's depressing to think about. It's seven months away, right? On the other hand, on the other hand, there's still football to be played this spring, which is much different than what we're normally accustomed to, unless it's an XFL startup or some league that we're not real sure is going to stick around because we cover Florida state because we live in Tallahassee. You know, we don't pay attention to a lot of what other schools are doing, but uh, you're exactly right. In fact, I I got a email from the national football foundation and, and the headline of the email says historic spring college football season set to begin. Tommy, there's more than 300, there's 310 schools and 35 conferences. That's FCS, Division II, Division III, and NAIA. They actually began part of the season or kick off early games last weekend, but the majority of them are playing this weekend coming up. Uh, we'll be teeing it up on the 13th. 310 schools. Now, some of these, by the way, played a game or two in the fall for what, what we would call the money games. And now they're kicking off. They're going to have a full-fledged uh, playoff. Uh, I think the national championship for one of them gets played in maybe the, the – I think the Saturday that FSU uh, plays their spring game. But 310 schools are playing football beginning now. So, now, these may not be the 310 programs. You usually circle the date on the calendar and get excited about. It's not Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Correct. Auburn, Florida State, Florida. That said – it is football, and it'll help us get through. We'll get through it together, as we always do. You mentioned the spring football game. That's April 10th, and that means spring practice. I don't know the start date offhand, but it's plus or minus hear, March I see the 1st. 7th? Was it March 7th, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say sometime the first the first third yeah. of March. Uh, you know, and I, I kid about the doldrums. Really, the doldrums of waiting for football are – are about June 15th or June 30th until about August 15th or so, or whenever fall camp starts, that's when it gets tougher. But uh, I am excited. And we'll talk about this with Bob Ferrante, who will join us next segment. I'm excited looking back at the recruits and the transfers about what the staff can do as they now have another year together and, and to, to implement their system. Well, as we talked about last week, with the addition of the, the loan recruit on quote unquote national signing day, um, by the way, I think his last name is Day as well. You know, FSU moved up into the, if you will, the top 25, according to the experts. But when you factor in the transfers, most everyone with any um, aplomb will tell you that this staff really, really did a great job. 
given all the restrictions and all the things that were going on to not only meet their needs, but to bring in some kids that have got some talent. I mean, it's not like they were cast offs as it were. These are people that can come in and play and contribute. Yeah, no question about that. And I know, and we've beaten this drum to death so we can turn the page on it. Although when Bob Franti joins us, I do have a couple questions similar. Florida State didn't recruit at the level that Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State are recruiting. Nobody's going to argue that. But if you look at where they finished in the ACC, which is fourth, again, you want to finish ahead of North Carolina and ahead of Miami and ultimately ahead of Clemson when you start stockpiling classes year after year. But how about we just take the parts and finish fourth in the ACC right now? And I don't know what the aggregate is if you compared FSU's roster to the other 13 ACC schools. But it's better than where they've been the last couple of years, and I've been preaching this for a while. Let's just become better than the sum of our parts. And I do think, to bring this full circle, I do think that the the mix of high school and transfer talent that was brought in and the leadership that a McKenzie Milton can bring and some of the others, I think that will help Florida State get back pointed the right direction in terms of being better than their sum of their parts when they get out there every Saturday. The key to that is the big D word, development. And you and I exchanged some texts earlier in the week and uh, debated the age-old, well, how many five-stars played in the Super Bowl? And the answer, by the way, was one. Leonard Fournette, the running back for Tampa Bay, was the only five-star recruit out of high school that was on either roster uh, for the Super Bowl. And, of course, Mr. Block will always bring up, well, Jones, there's only 35 stars every year, so blah, 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 blah. But that being said, obviously the development of these kids, which has been lacking the last three or four or five years at Florida State, also a big key to, to the success of those recruits. Speaking of successful recruits, let's bounce over to basketball. Man, this has been a frustrating season, but the men's team is back at it this week they'll play Saturday I don't know short term maybe it's a blessing in disguise but long term I don't know if it is and I'm talking about their second pause because they were they were in the midst of four straight road games and I'm not sure how those four would have gone but they end up I mean we know how the Georgia Tech game went there are three more to come Uh, they end up getting a week uh, I'll call it off. I'm not sure what they were able to do, but they weren't able to work out as a team, but a second COVID pause. Now they'll come back. They got plenty of time to get set for Wake Forest. And then they have Virginia at home and then they have Virginia Tech at home. And so they're going to get the friendly confines again as they ramp back into this. And I'm curious to see if they can come out guns ablazing like they did last time around when they just shot the lights out and they looked like a different team. The good news is that they've been through it before in terms of the pause and then coming out. And as you mentioned, played extraordinarily well the first three or four games, two or three games rather, uh, after the pause. You know, it's all, in my opinion, up to the kids. And, and, uh, you know, we talk about above the shoulders uh, and, you know, what their attitude is, what their work ethic is, what they're willing to commit to. Uh, and, you know, put all the other distractions behind them because we know when this team plays, when they pass the ball 275 times or whatever that magic number is we read about, uh, they can be very successful. When they don't, then they're not successful. It's that simple, but yet that's very, very complicated to get from one to the other. Didn't we say earlier that 14 is the number of games you need to play to qualify for the NCAA tournament? Did we that, hear that? That rings a bell, 13 or 14, whatever it was. Well, they're sitting at 13 games played right now, so let's at least tip off Saturday and get that one in and get another Correct. W, right? Yep. You know, this is not surprising given just the stop and start nature of the season and you really didn't have the non-conference to tinker around. The thing that has frustrated me the most with this team, even when they were playing well, you see great possession, great possession, great possession. They're moving their ball. They're moving the ball. They're moving the ball. And then you get that one possession where they barely crossed half court and somebody says, okay, I'm going to take a three. And I know you can work that out. And I know if the three goes in, I'm not going to argue with it so much, but it just seems like, I don't know the percentage, but it's, it's careless turnovers and just kind of a flippant possession here and there that those are the things they, that I want to see tightened up. A lot of that, my opinion also has to do with their youth So in theory, the more games they play, the less likely they are to do that moving forward. 
Um, but I'll tell you, you know, it, it, we could use the football analogy. We could talk uh, Mike Martin and uh, Junior and meet, have their baseball season coming up. Lonnie and, and the ladies have their season coming up. We talk about the long ball versus, you know, base to base and playing defense and pitching. You know, the, the, the grandeur of the big play uh, is always there, but we saw in the Super Bowl that Mahomes was not able to make the big play and Brady was able to dink and dunk and who won. So maybe just maybe as things progress, this basketball team will, will uh, get back to the fundamentals and stay with the fundamentals. Uh, it, by the way, is my number right? Is it two, 225 passes or 275 passes? I don't, I don't recall. It's a bunch. Yeah. What do you think they should do with Scotty Barnes and Raquan Evans? I personally think you start Evans and you bring Scotty off the bench, but you make sure he gets 25 minutes. I mean, I think that sixth man thing that works so well with Fiondu worked with, with Patrick, you know, you may not like it. The fans may not like it. Um, and, and Barnes may not like it, but I think that's what you need to do. Part of it with Fiondu was to calm him down. So he didn't pick up two fouls right away and they would not bring him in until after the first media timeout. But Scotty Barnes, even when he hadn't started, I mean, they brought him in with 18-plus minutes to go. So it really is, uh, you know, it shows up starter, non-starter. We've talked about this. I just uh, – I like both of them. Uh, man, even in that Georgia Tech game where he was – and, boy, that feels like a long time ago. You know, he was a non-factor in the first half. I don't even recall if it was foul trouble or what. But when we got in the second half, whether he recorded an assist – officially an assist or not – he's got the ball, it's going through him and he's making things happen. I mean, he's penetrating, he's getting to an open guy that the offense, and, and that's nothing against Evans who has been able to, frankly, he's probably scored more than Barnes of late. I mean, he's really had a nice niche and he's better from the outside on the three. I just, I'm, I'm curious, I'm frustrated that we haven't seen more of Scotty Barnes from the standpoint that so many games have been canceled. Uh, and I just want to make sure Florida state gets the most out of them. And I know they will, but uh, that's, that's kind of been my disappointment on this year. Well, and if you were a devil's advocate person, you might say, all right, well, Tom, you get one of two things. You can have uh, Barnes averaging 15 and dishing eight uh, dimes during the regular season and then not show up in the postseason, or you can be frustrated during the regular season and then let him ball out during the postseason. Which one do you want? Yeah, I think you know the answer to that. And it really, it's a selfish thing that I'm suggesting here. I just, I'd like to watch Barnes play because I don't think he's going to be around next year. And, he, I, and I, that part I would agree with. Yeah, so that's that's really where the frustration comes with. I don't even know as I look at it uh, uh, where he is. So he's averaging 10 points a game uh, for Florida State right now, and Evans is at 7.6. Uh, but if you factored it over the last four or five games where Evans has had some of his big games, that might be turned around a little bit. Anyway, Wake Forest this week, noon. Uh, Florida State, you know, this is not a case where they're coming back and going to have one practice to get their legs back. They came back on Tuesday. Uh, they'll have plenty of time to prep for Wake Forest and then a quick turnaround to get Virginia on Monday night. So I actually like that part of the way it sets up for him. What do we think is going to happen with the postponed games, Those road, that road trip that you were talking about? I've not heard. Have you heard anything? There's not, there's not room on the schedule to add them back unless Florida State plays a lot of Saturday, Wednesdays going forward. Unless you want to add a game in on a Monday and play Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, you, you really can't get the games back. Remember the pit game the second time around, that was Florida State's bye week for basketball. They did add a game there, and then it got postponed. I, I still maintain, and we've talked about this the last two weeks, maybe they get through the ACC tournament. Maybe it's not an option because they need the sponsor dollars and all that. But if you didn't play the tournament, you could get three more games in that week. I mean, if you want, you could play a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Now, the same argument could be made on that Saturday game that, hey, do you want to risk getting COVID a week before the NCAA tournament? You know, but I, I don't think that's the way they're going to go. And I know you could get three games in anyway if you play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you're in the conference championship game. Right, right. But Which I just think, I mean, everybody's getting, would do. Yeah, everybody's getting games postponed right now. And that, it just seems like it's going to get dicey and somebody's going to have an outbreak that's going to impact – the, the NCAA tournament the next week. It will be an interesting, interesting uh, March leading up to when, when is it the first week in uh, April when the final four is exactly, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, we've beaten that drum the last couple of weeks. Nobody is, nobody is joining in uh, as part of the chorus on that Keith. So we're, we're out there alone, but I, 
not going to be surprising at all if you see during conference tournament week that somebody's got an issue and how is it going to impact the NCAAs the next week. We will get our Osceola insider Bob Ferranti queued up and ready to go. He joins us next. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's crank open the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Frante. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. We uh, started with a little Super Bowl talk. I mean, the way the news cycle works, that was old news by like 1030 on Sunday night. But I know you caught up with Derek Nottie last week and then uh, watched the game unfold. Any, anything to share on either front before we uh, turn the page and move on? You know, I thought it was interesting. Derek Nani said it's really important to stop the run, and that's what the Bucks did. They just were able to run. I mean, as impressive as Tom Brady is, of course he's going to do what he's going to do. But but the Bucks were able to run, and and Leonard Fournette, um, you know, the Jaguars cast off, who becomes a really a Bucks playoff hero. Um, you know, that that was the storyline I think for the Bucks, and you know, on the Chiefs side, it goes back to the offensive line play when you have one big crucial injury. And it shakes up who starts where. A lot of things just don't work. And it felt like Patrick Mahomes was on the run all night. I think somebody came up with a stat that he he ran for just hundreds and hundreds of yards trying to just buy time to throw downfield. So it, it was fun to watch. I'm happy for a lot of my uh, my friends who are Bucks fans. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't really a, a great game from the Chiefs' standpoint. That entire game, guys, turned – when they handed the ball off to Fournette three times in a row and he picked up, you know, four yards and then four yards and then three yards. And you look at that and say, well, wait a minute, that's 11 yards, but that was three handoffs and that was a first down and they ran right at them. And you're exactly right. You make that one change on that offensive line for the chiefs and right, wrong or different. And I've, I've never really understood why kid, why coaches do this. But instead of putting the backup in and letting the other four offensive linemen remain where they are, you shift everyone around and you essentially have made three moves with five players, five positions, and it did not work well. You mentioned Leonard Fournette, so I was going to go here anyway, but there's a Florida State connection here. And as we finish up, you know, a week after signing day, Bob, with, with David Johnson having coached Fournette and Tyron Matthew at the high school level, and then you see, so in other words, he, he's well-established in New Orleans and Louisiana. And we saw that in FSU's recruiting class, including the kid that they picked up on signing day. And uh, I know it's still not pulling guys out of Florida the way that FSU is going to have to get to, but, it, but it's not bad that at least you've got connections like that that, can, that are plugged in and can get you some of the talent out of Louisiana. I mean, frankly, and I know this because we go to New Orleans a lot, New Orleans is closer than Fort Lauderdale and Miami are to Tallahassee. I mean, it's six hours versus seven or eight. So, but thoughts yeah, on David Johnson's connections? Yeah, we don't think about it, but it's a relationship business and the proximity of, you know, Louisiana to the panhandle is really, really attractive. I think, you know, LSU being, I hate to say somewhat down after that national championship season, maybe helps Florida State, but there are definitely times where let's call them the rivals around the ACC and the SEC are, are slightly off. And, and maybe you pull in a recruit that normally you might, might not get. And I think that really helps. And, and David Johnson, you know, every interview with him, uh, I've come away just incredibly impressed by just how personable and relatable he is. Um, you know, very patient, a good listener, a very good coach. His connections in New Orleans with the high school coaches is, is really significant. And, and also might add, you know, Alex Atkins was a Tulane assistant. So they've got a lot of ties deep into Louisiana. Mike Norvell dipped in there as a Memphis coach. So I, I do think it's a good state to, to really get into. And, and we're going to see these Florida ties build on the recruiting trail. It's just going to take everything opening back up. And hopefully in May that happens for this staff. <laughs> 
basketball. We going to play a game on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. I, I really am. Let's, you know, I, I can't believe, you know, two pauses already in the season, but um, I think it's a good thing, honestly, to be coming back against Wake Forest, uh, a sub 500 team. And, and then because you do have that short turnaround with Virginia on Monday, you're not really stressing the starters for those 30 plus minutes. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a good three day stretch of basketball between the men and the women. It's going to be fun. How about this, guys? I read this. Uh, it's been 22 years since Duke had a losing record at any time during the season. And, you know, Coach K was asked on the, uh, the, the weekly Zoom on Monday by one of the beat writers up there that, that had, had the Blue Devils projected as an NIT team. And at this point, that's being a little bit generous because they're still – they're also sub-500. I, I, can't, I can't fathom – you know, the, the best explanation I've been given is, you know, Coach K and Duke, they build the program with a lot of one-and-done type players. And when you don't have that time to develop over the summer and your preseason is shaken up because of COVID, you don't have exhibition games. And, and they didn't play as many non-conference games either. Yeah, your, your on-court product in the middle of the ACC schedule is going to look shaky. And, and that's, that's the way they look. They've been really competitive, I think, from just a score standpoint. But the losses are racking up. And, um, yeah, I, you know, Coach K is not going to show anything. There's no concern. There's, he's not going to uh, allow that story to permeate. He's focused on the next game, all the cliches. But, yeah, this is definitely not a year for those true college basketball blue bloods like, like a Duke and, and Kentucky to lesser extent, a, a North Carolina. Coach K is, I think he's 73 right now. COVID year is a tough year to make this assessment, but do we think this is maybe the beginning of the end a little bit? Are there parallels to when we got to the end of the Bowden years and, you know, the tried and true formula worked for decades and then all of a sudden it's not quite working the same and you get defensive and you point things out, but the results aren't where they once were, or is that a complete overreaction to a COVID year? You know, I could definitely argue this either way. I, I definitely see the point. I think the big question moving forward is, can you keep your staff and can you keep your recruits, your, your verbal commitments? Can you sign guys? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Duke is going to bounce back. I do think a lot of this is COVID-related, and, and it's just a philosophical deal where Coach K likes to pursue the, the one-and-done type, and he leans on that so much, whereas other programs – you know, they're, they're built by the strength of, of depth and seniors, you know, of course, Florida state, and that's what we're going to lean on. We're going to see the, the philosophy that Leonard Hamilton has, and, and we see why it works for him. Um, yeah. It, it's clearly not working for Duke. I look, I think if you're 73 and you're winning, it's not a conversation. Like how old is Leonard Hamilton? He's winning. It's not a conversation with his age. So We'll have to see. I think this is a blip in the road for Duke, but it will be kind of interesting to see how this last month Leonard's or only, so plays out. Leonard's only 72, Bob, so it's a oh, totally okay. different conversation. He's a spry chicken. I mean, he looks like he's 62 anyway. Hey, if the results are there, nobody's going to question anything. See Tom Brady, see Drew Brees. You know, which one are we asking about his age and which one do we not care because he's still winning, right? Uh, back to Back to FSU basketball, though. I, you told me, I think you said this yesterday, you're working on a story on the Green Vipers. Is that right? Well, as of right now, it's the podcast. And I'm not sure I'm going to get the story done in time for Saturday, but I had a really fun Zoom yesterday with uh, with the four Vipers, uh, you know, Justin Leonard, Travis Light, Harrison Prieto, and, and Will Miles. And there's a couple other walk-ons, but these guys are, are seniors. They're all grad students. So if you can think about it, they are, um, in, in addition to a rigorous grad student curriculum they're still playing basketball and uh, they're really a huge piece of this program and the culture of of development of of teaching they're they're coaches i mean to me they are very much an extension of the coaching staff and and why this program is so successful so that's a podcast i hope we'll put out on thursday and and reminder to everyone they're doing this because they want to uh, mention again they're walk-ons they're they're treated well but they're paying to do this. And, and uh, it's a, it's an interesting group. I hope their personalities are able to truly come out 
because I, I'm fortunate enough to know them. I'm not best buddies with them, but I've been around them. I've seen them. I know their parents. And uh, this is a good group. They're, they're fun to be around. They're funny. They're, they feed off each other on the court and, and kind of in a Zoom chat room. They're, they're kind of crack on each other and, and making jokes. And, but it's, you know, I asked them kind of in the close, you know, are, are, you guys, are you guys a friendship, a brotherhood? And I think Will Miles said, you know, these guys are going to be groomsmen in my wedding one day. And, and, and we're, we're tight. We're going to, you know, we're going to move our separate ways when we move on in a couple months. But I think it's, it's really a, a cool, tight group of, of friends on and off the court. And these types of guys are guys that will go off gang and, and do some things. And then you might bring them back as assistant coaches five and seven years from now uh, because they are Seminoles. Bob, I don't even know the answer to this. Is that group always the Green Vipers or is that name specific to this group? And if so, when they move on, are we going to, is it turning the page and now we have the, the Blue Vipers or something else? I mean, how's that work? <laughs> Yeah, I kind of asked him about the origin. It sounds like it started as the green team or the green squad and then green vipers was, was something maybe that CY, um, you know, kind of came up with. And so it's, I, I think it will continue. I mean, there's, there's what three other younger walk-ons right now who are, you know, truly part of the team, but you know, this is, these are the guys who have, they've been around for so long that, you know, they're viewed as, as the vipers who do the primary teaching. And you know, what a lot of people have said to me is that it's going to be a missing piece next season to not have these four there, to not be able to teach a, a true freshman or a redshirt guy, to not have that guy that knows the offense and the defense in and out and can just take all that time over the summer and in the preseason and just, just be a big brother slash coach. Hey, well, thanks to COVID, they can all come back for another year, right? it's pretty expensive to do one more year, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and if they've already gotten all their multiple degrees, right, it's time to move on. Um, this is always the, I think, the busiest time on the sports calendar when you get to the winter spring sports overlap. But a new dynamic this year is you got winter and spring sports, and then you've got fall sports like volleyball is playing, and I haven't seen a soccer schedule. I, I mean, I don't know that FSU athletics will ever have, have again, as busy a stretch as what the next six or eight weeks are going to be. Yeah, it's going to keep everybody busy, but I think it is fun. Um, you know, soccer in particular, they're going to schedule, from what I understand, some professional teams, um, some exhibition matches. It sounds like they're going to play Florida down in Gainesville as part of the schedule. It just hasn't been released yet, but but softball will open. I understand FAMU softball has some COVID issues, so instead Florida State will open Friday now in softball. Volleyball should open, I think, Saturday. We've got tennis heating up. Uh, you know, golf is already underway. It's, it's going to be incredibly busy, not to mention baseball a week away. And, um, and spring football is fast approaching, too, in a month. So it, it's always fun. I think this is what we went through last year for what was it from March through August. It was all that pain of how do you get players back on the field or the court now we've got what's really a good thing is everybody is going to be back out there playing. Well, and you mentioned those sports. I mean, I, I don't know that it's common knowledge right now that the track program surprise is pretty good. The men's track team is fifth in the country. The women's track team is 11th. The women's tennis team beat Florida with ease. And, it you know, there's a lot of years where that wasn't the case. They beat them 4-1 and they're in the top 10. So, uh, a recurring theme that we've discussed, it doesn't appear FSU has dropped off anywhere for its comprehensive excellence, to use that phrase, uh, with, with what we're seeing out of their programs. Yeah, that's that's a good trend to see continued is, yes, despite the football team struggles, this is an all sports program, you know, across all the 20 sports. And it's going to be a Director's Cup top 10 kind of performance from from all the sports. Now, could it be top five? We'll see because that's a lot of postseason performance is factored in there but yes to see every team go out there and, and just be you know fun to watch it, it's the again the unfortunate thing is we can't see as many fans in the stands as possible to really truly enjoy it um, the benefit of having you know ACC Network Extra and ACC Network to be able to televise or stream a lot of these you know games and matches is, is really exceptional I think that's 
that's what's going to be good for us uh, in, in spring. Bob, we appreciate it. Uh, good job as always, folks. Subscribe to the Osceola. We'll catch up next week and we'll continue with Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks, as always, to Bob Frante from the Osceola for joining us. And we do this uh, annually, I think, in terms of our next guest, right about this time of year when the softball season gets started. And pleased to reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to Coach Lonnie Alameda. How are you, Coach? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys? Good. One of the advantages, uh, see, this is a positive from COVID, is now that we do this via Zoom, we can see a smiling face instead of just hearing it translate over the phone lines. You've always had an infectious, positive personality. And I guess as a starting point, that must have helped to some degree when you look back at the last 11 months and what it's been like through the, through this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I mean, <clears throat> when the games got canceled and um, the season got canceled and it just kind of started just that avalanche effect of everything going on. And it was uh, definitely for about 12 hours, like, man, no softball. And then when we woke up that next morning and realized it was a world thing, you just became a, a big teammate of the world and figured it out. So we just kept on stepping forward and figuring out how to get better any way we can virtually um, had a lot of connection stuff. And here we are um, together, stronger as a team, stronger individually, stronger as a team and ready to get after it. Lonnie, a lot of our listeners that don't pay real special attention may have missed the fact that uh, a milestone was achieved by you last year, 700 wins. I don't, I, I think the average FSU fan would probably have uh, not gotten that right on the test as it were. Um, <laughs> a remarkable career and, and you're at FSU and, and I'm going to use the term you're happy here. Yeah. What is it about Mike Martin and Bobby Bowden and, and Leonard Hamilton and Lonnie Alameda that <laughs> makes FSU the place you guys want to be? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the two minutes I walked on campus when I came for my interview is just that family atmosphere here. Um, it's very genuine. Um, it's just such a, a unique feel and it draws uh, certain people to that environment and then you truly love where you're at so it's easy to be positive because you love where you're at and you love what you do and uh, we had a zoom call with coach Hamilton the other night with our team just sharing stuff about team life his upbringing I mean it's just the family it's the family atmosphere coach you joked with us about how uh, flexible you have to be in these times and you referenced coach Hamilton I mean his team has had two pauses already this season uh you, as, as we're speaking, you had to scramble your schedule for this weekend because your opener got, got postponed because of COVID issues on the other side. Um, how do you, you know, how do you get your student athletes, your staff, your coaches, everybody to just, I mean, really you have to embrace the unexpected. I mean, you can't let it get you down. You just have to wake up every day and know that there may be a schedule change and it is what it is. Yeah. I'm fortunate for baseball and softball. Uh, Mother nature challenges us all the time with that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not the ones that, um, can really wake up every morning and know that we're going to be inside a gym and it's going to happen, you know? So, um, so wind, sleet, snow, we're going to try to get out there best we can, but, um, we're a very hang around, hang around the ballpark kind of, uh, sport, right? So we may have a 10 a.m. game, 11 a.m. game that gets played at four or five. That's just the nature of baseball and softball. So I think that we're kind of used to that. Um, but I also think that from the get go, uh, we talk about adversity. It's our friend. Uh, it's the ability to adjust, uh, whether it's in-game calls, uh, things you can't control, whether it's weather, whether it's uh, the bus getting a flat tire and being late to it. You know, we just embrace it. We talk about it. And it's just uh, the ones that have the mental toughness and the ability to, to make those adjustments are going to be the ones that can let their softball skills play in the end. And that's what we want to do. Well, to that end, you, you start the season um, on Friday now, but update us on what the schedule looks like as we're taping this subject to change moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we postponed the FAM game, uh, the FAMU game. Uh, we'll try to pick that up later in the season. And um, we'll play Memphis and Missouri now in doubleheaders on Friday and Saturday. So um, our schedules are 10, 12, and 3 are the slots. 
Uh, we do have rain coming in this weekend too. So, you know, subject to change, <laughs> but um, our, our thoughts are now to play Memphis and Missouri twice this weekend. And um, we're going to play the 12 and three and the 10 and 12 on Saturday. So, um, but our amazing SID Brett will be getting that information out daily as we get through this. Um, but that is our plan to play for this weekend. Coach, tell us a little bit about the makeup of your team. I looked at your roster and, and the first thing I saw was 15 freshmen. And I said, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I looked at the seniors and I thought they must be working on PhDs at this point. Cause those names have been here a while. Cause they got to come back because as a reminder to our listeners, Last year's season got canceled early and, and everybody that was competing last spring, if they chose to do so, could come back. So it's an interesting mix, but you've got some mature, really good players on your team. We do. Um, this is a, an incredible time for us because we did have the number one recruiting class coming in here. So we have a very talented freshman class. We call them the rookies. They are rookies to the season. The freshmen are the ones that had 20 games under their belt that actually got a new season back. So we did. Uh, we do have 15 freshmen, but they make up a rookie and a freshman class for us. Um, so we, we make sure that uh, we talk about that part. We have talent coming in. This program has worked really hard to be competitive you know, in the country, not only playing, but recruiting on the same side. So when our super seniors um, had the chance to uh, maybe come back and play, we had those talks. You know, we weren't planning on you being here this year. We did recruit. You always recruit to, to make the program better. So let's talk about your expectations coming back. You know, um, let's talk about the competitive nature 25 people on this team are going to be in the fall and in the spring and the legacy that you want to leave. Why are you coming back here? Uh, Cass Davis had PT school all lined up. You know, she put off physical therapy school. Um, Danny Morgan, she was already into South Carolina graduate program, put that off a year. Uh, Anna Shelnett was all ready to jump into the real world. Like just so many people had things in mind. Why are you coming back? And the team aspect and the family atmosphere and the want to give back to this program and tell those freshmen what it's all about was one of the main things that they talked about. So it's a really good relationship on that side. Last night at the end of practice, we came up here and we walked the walls. Our walls can speak history to you. We talked about Dr. Jones and everything she's done here. And those seniors were able to speak on the World Series. Those seniors were able to speak on things that are so impactful to our freshmen. So um, super special. Uh, I think everyone's here for the right reasons. And uh, it's really incredibly powerful to have five years of knowledge being able to speak and then the talent that we have with our freshmen. Coach Tom and I have intentionally not brought up Dr. Jones because we wanted to save that for a conversation with you. And of course, uh, most of our listeners will be familiar that Dr. Billy Jones passed away. 93 years of age was technically, as I understand it, uh, Florida State's first female coach coached volleyball, and then, of course, went uh, full-time into teaching. But um, just talk about your kids' experiences with her and what she's met. I know Joanne Graff was very close to her. Uh, she's just a remarkable, remarkable lady. She's going to be missed. Oh, dearly. Um, I don't even know where to begin to speak on her impact to us. So you look at the financial side, the giving. You know, her and Jan has given so much money financially, um, the leadership side, you know, pulled me aside. We've had dinners, we've had lunches shared with me how to build, how to grow from every aspect of the game on and off the field. Um, the intentional, um, connection side, um, she would play table tennis with our kids. She would have them over. She would talk the stories of, um, you know, how she's grown as a person and then know everything about them. You know, I, I took two freshmen over here, you know, a couple months ago and, and we sat down and, and we had a chat with her and um, right away, you know, Hallie Wake is you're from Arkansas. Like she knew right away where Hallie was from. And, you know, we had a talk. It was a connection. So when you're 90 plus years old and you can connect with a 19 year old and then have that 45 minute really cool conversation, just super special woman and uh, really going to miss her. But there won't be a day that goes by that we don't walk those halls and keep talking about her and the impact that she's made here because those kids are going to go on and do the things that she's done. They're going to be trailblazers. They're going to get after it. And uh, people that lave the path for you, you honor that, but then you live that too. And I think that's one thing she's really given us. And I can guarantee you in those table tennis matches, she was not losing. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's funny. I tell you, she, our players went out there and they all, they went out there without me half the time. They, you know, they would call Dr. Jones and they would go out and get a table tennis match. And I know coach Graff does that too, but 
uh, you know, Callie Harrod was like, you know, I was trying to be easy on her and she started whipping it in there and she's like, don't be easy on me, beat me, you know, and she wouldn't, they would never beat her. It was hilarious. It was awesome. Lonnie, as you got to know her, could she appreciate the fruits of her labor? I mean, we're talking about fighting for equity right after Title IX in the early 70s to where we are now, which is not to say that things are as equitable uh, as maybe they should be, but could she at least appreciate uh, the sweat equity that she had in that? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I think uh, I've, I've learned that through Coach Graf too. You know, Coach Graf stays in touch with us and she connects with the players too. So what, you know, Billy has given Joanne, you know, now come through me is we are going to appreciate everything that, that all those women have worked for, but then we're going to keep pushing it. So I do know that uh, there's a lot of things here that I couldn't have done without them, but there'll be a lot of things in the future that coaches here will have because of what I do. And so I think that there is an appreciation, but there's also an education to continue push and, and ride that balance, you know, appreciate, appreciate push at the same time. And uh, I just really love that lesson that they both have taught me. Let's bring it back on the field a little bit. I was looking at some numbers and uh, so Sydney Sherrill is one of your veterans, not a senior, but I remember watching her swing the stick as a freshman and thinking, man. And so now I look at her numbers and she's, she's still got two years left, I guess. I mean, and the record book's not going to be that impacted by last year because you didn't play a full season. But the point is she, she's got the second highest career batting average behind old Jesse Warren. And from a home run and runs batted in standpoint, she projects if she's on the same pace to finish second only to Jesse. And that would discount the fact that she's probably going to be better this year and next than she was her first two years. So it's a long-winded way of saying, tell us what you have in Sydney Sherrill. Yeah. Um, I can tell you right now, um, Tom, I'm, I'm obviously excited about her skill sets. You would, you wouldn't be, you know, remiss to say that, but she has grown up as a person. She's a leader now. She speaks up. She's so comfortable in that role. Um, every time we get to talking about our bubble that we're creating, all the things that maybe we can't do, Sid always turns around the things we can do. Um, she always speaks on how much fun we can have together. She always speaks about the tightness of the group. And as a freshman coming into the program and experiencing national championships, and now as a junior with leadership skills, loving that, because sometimes that's a big harness to bear, you know, like, you know, I've got to pull this team together versus like, I just want to have fun. Let me tell you guys what fun is. Let's talk about how much fun we have. Right. So um, yes, extremely excited about her swinging the stick for us. But I think we as a coaching staff are more excited when you're when your players that can produce on the field start producing in leadership categories, that's something really special. And I'm just really proud of her for that. Coach, you talked about your recruiting class uh, by most accounts, number one in the country. Personally, I think one of the reasons for that is your willingness to travel and your willingness to play. We talk about the West coast squads. Uh, you probably get mad when I mention that, but I, and my question is within your season this year, Will you still be able to do, for example, your tournament down in Tampa or somewhere where you invite in the big people, you host it, but you're hosting it away from Tallahassee, which is a huge draw for these other squads to come to Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're fortunate this year. Um, a couple of years ago, we went out to the University of Arizona, when you speak of a West Coast team um, and a very traditional um, storied program and played out at University of Arizona, and then they're coming here this year. So that tournament down in Clearwater is not happening due to COVID, um, but we're still going to get those talents to come out here and play us. So um, I think that says a lot to um, our program in the sense that um, people want to come to Tallahassee, they want to play um, what we've created, but also that um, we'll play anybody at any time. Like we, we, we want to play the best and we want to go toe to toe with anyone at any time. So uh, I, I think that Florida, we still got that good game going on, you know, so this season, the, the 10% of games that got taken away from us, the tournaments that got that taken away, we're still getting after a quality schedule. And I, I'm really excited about that. And then next year, Clearwater will kick in again and we'll get opportunities to play at other places, but we've got a good schedule on slate for us. Coach, we'll wrap up here momentarily. Uh, I'm going to be that guy and bring it back to COVID. Sorry, but I'm wondering from a practice standpoint, I mean, normally you want your pitchers hanging out together and learning from one another or your catchers, but when you get into a quarantine situation or whatever, do you have to change how you go through that? I mean, now they're not rooming together. Now they're, they're in different bullpens. I mean, all that sort of, I'm thinking pitchers and catchers, but it would apply for any position on the team. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we um, uh, we'll be challenged a little bit with travel on that sense. So like we'll go up to Georgia Tech next week and play and we have two buses going for the 20 percent um, capacity. And there is a shortstop in one, a shortstop in another, a catcher in one, a catcher in another, a pitcher in one. Yeah. So if one bus happens to go down, we're able to play with another bus. And um, part of that reason is, you know, having an extra couple players on the roster, 25 players in the roster. We can break it up. We've got talent. We've got great pitching staff. Uh, everyone's ready to go open, close, relieve, whatever we need to do. They're there to do it. So we're in a really good position on that side. So let's knock on wood that uh, we keep our bubble intact and that doesn't happen to us, but uh, <laughs> we're prepared for it. Coach, you made the women's college world series in 14, 16 and 18, and you didn't get a shot in 20. So we're just rolling that to this year. So this is yeah. your year. We know <laughs> where we'll see you at the end of the season. Good luck. And thanks for your time. And for, uh, uh, for all you've meant to, to Florida State fans, not just softball fans, but, but Florida State folks in general. Good luck this season. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Keith. A lot of fun. You bet. Coach Lonnie Alameda, the season opens this weekend for Florida State. Back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom and Keith back with you on Front Row Knowles as we finish things up on this Wednesday. Always great to connect with Coach Lonnie Alameda. Her 13th season now as seminal softball coach and not often that you and I dive this deep into softball, but she followed a legend in Joanne Graff. We kind of discount that now because she's had such success, won a national title and she gave credit to her predecessors for, for what she enjoys now. But uh, those weren't easy shoes to fill. They were rather large and she's done a nice job. Well, I'd have to go back and check, but I believe you may know, but I believe Joanne was the first coach that introduced the program. It was slow pitch uh, in the early years. So there's only been two coaches, at well, least I, two coaches of significance in the cert- entire program. Certainly Dr. Graff ushered in the fast pitch here. I think that Dr. Billy Jones actually coached softball as part of her legacy too for a little well, while. And I was going to go back to that. I yeah. know she coached volleyball. I, I just don't remember. Uh, quick story. But the point is, Keith, she's coaching in a stadium that's named after her predecessor, and she's had pretty good success. Well, the field will be named after her when she retires. Yeah, well, it's actually Joanne Graff Field. So it's not the stadium, it's the field. But yeah, you're right on. Go ahead, Keith. Quick story about uh, Dr. Jones, uh, Billy Jones. Uh, I was president of what was then called the Letterman's Club in the mid-80s. And that's when I met Dr. Jones. I had met her when I was playing. But, you know, when you're 18 to 22-year-old, you're not paying attention to what's going on. I graduated and was three or four years out of school and became president of the Letterman's Club. And that's when I really got to meet Billy. And two things about her. Number one, she was very, very uh, forceful in wanting to stand up for women's athletics and equality of, of, you know, at least equality of funding and that type of thing. But she did it in such a way that as an old football player, and of course the Letterman's Club was made up of a bunch of football players, it wasn't offensive. She had a charm and a way about her that was unbelievably effective in, in instituting that change. And candidly, she was one of the biggest reasons, at least from my recollection, why we changed the name from the Letterman's Club to the Varsity Club. The second thing about her is she didn't want you to give anything. She wanted to earn it. And she would go out of her way, and, and we've seen the fruits of that. You know, we're not supporting these uh, quote-unquote Olympic non-revenue sports just to have them. I mean, volleyball is great. Soccer's won national championships. Lonnie's won national championships. I mean, these are not just courtesy sports. These are competitive sports. And that's exactly what Dr. Jones preached and worked for and, and you talk about, did she, did she see the fruits of her labors? I, I think she did. And she's just, just a remarkable, 
remarkable part of the Florida State history. That's well said, KJ. And uh, yeah, big loss for the Florida State family this week with her passing, but uh, her impact uh, is not lost as, as Lonnie referenced, and, and that will be true for years and decades to come for everybody that, that, that follows. Keith, just a couple more minutes as we wrap things up. So basketball uh, bounces back into action, uh, going back to where we started early on. And uh, I'm still in the same place on basketball. I mean, I think their ceiling is high. I think their floor is a little bit lower than last year's, maybe just because of the, the guys they lost. Uh, speaking of which, those guys are doing rather well in the NBA. I don't Isn't know it amazing? that, you know, every time I look at my Twitter feed, there's something about Patrick Williams doing something or there's a dunk highlight from Devin Vassell and Trent Forrest has been up. I was going to say, how about that worthless Trent Forrest that can't even get drafted? Boy, he's never going to make it in the NBA, is he? <laughs> I, I will say this, and this goes back to the conversation we had at the top. And maybe it goes to the point I just made about uh, maybe it's a higher ceiling, maybe it's a lower floor. And I like Raekwon Evans, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, and Scotty Barnes is all world. But if Trent Forrest was the guy who was giving you 28 minutes a game at point guard right now, and you were fitting those other parts and pieces in as needed – would you feel better about FSU going into March this year? Well, you certainly would feel better because you, you've got the track record of what he was able to do. But, you know, don't don't discount, you know, that cup is also half full. And uh, Evans is continuing to get better. Um, you know, Scotty, every game is, is an incremental time for him. Um, I, I still like the upside. You're, you're correct about the floor, and they could stumble. But uh, I still like the upside a lot. There was an article in The Athletic earlier this week that listed the best uh, programs in terms of the combination of football coach, men's basketball coach, and women's basketball coach. And it was just it just listed the 10 schools, and I think Ohio State was first, and then Alabama was second, maybe Oregon third. And so Florida State's not on the list right now because Mike Norvell's got to earn that and get football turned around. But I'm thinking once football comes back a little bit, assuming that it does, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with what Leonard and Sue have done historically over the last uh, decade to two decades in, in shaping these programs. No question. And the ladies have stumbled a little bit in, in, in the recent week, but they still have a bunch of pieces and parts that could fit together very nicely. And uh, obviously Brooke, uh, you know, kind of mentoring them through uh, until Sue's returned. Uh, I'm still excited about what they bring to the, to the, to the floor as well. Yeah, they've, They've had some point guard challenges too, and that they've had some injuries and couldn't haven't been able to get, I think, all the parts and pieces out there. And then they've had a lot of stop and start, even more than the men's basketball team. So it's hard to, on top of the fact that their head coach has took a leave of absence this year, and it's Brooks' first go round. So there's a lot of factors at play there, uh, but but hopefully things work out. All right, we are out of time, KJ. I guess we'll do this again next week. Until then, thanks for tuning in, folks. He's KJ. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles. Sarcasm in the classroom